Hi, I'm Walter Lane, and you've tuned in to a sermon podcast from the Netherwood Park Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for listening. You know, they, um, experts tell us that before we do something kind of strenuous or something that we haven't done before, it's always a good idea to warm up so you don't like pull something or hurt something. And later on today, I'm going to ask you guys to do something that some of you may not have done in a long time. So I want us to like warm up now so we'll be prepared for that a little bit later on. So I want everybody to smile. Because I, I know some of you haven't smiled in a while, so it's important to do this because I don't want you to pull a muscle later on. I'm serious. Everybody smile for me. Now, come on. Some of you really did forget how, didn't you? So keep that in mind because we're going to ask you to smile later on, and I don't want anyone to get hurt. So this morning, we're going to continue our series of sermons related to our 2019 theme on a mission. In this series, we're exploring ways that we as a church and we as individuals can be faithful to God's mission as we live out our lives in our particular corner of the world. I want to start out this morning by reminding you of two goals that I have for this year and for this series of sermons. First goal is that it is my goal to expand our vision of God's mission to bless the nations. I want all of us to understand that mission is something that happens way out there, way out in the far corners of the world. But mission is also something that happens right here and right now in your corner of the world and in my corner of the world. In fact, God's mission is taking place in every corner of the world. Second goal, it is my goal to convince every one of us that we are all God's missionaries. Convince us that God's desire and his plan is to accomplish his mission through you and through me and through all who claim him as their Lord and Master. I want us to embrace the fact that God is working powerfully through his missionaries in those distant lands those far corners of the world. But to also embrace the fact that he stands ready to work powerfully through his missionaries in the mission fields that are right here in your corner of the world. So two goals. Expand our vision of God's mission and convince us that we are all God's missionaries. And in pursuit of those two goals, each week we're going to be talking about a particular way 
in which each of us can be faithful to God's mission as we live out our lives. And as we're going through this series, we're going to ask questions. We're going to want to know how we can be faithful to our calling so that God can bless the nations through us in our corners of the world. Last week, we saw that we bring God's blessings to others when we walk in his ways. We bring his blessings to others when we imitate God, when we do what he does, when we say what he says, when we care about what he cares about, when we embrace his mission as our own mission. And when we do that, we bring God's blessings. We bring his blessings to our corner of the world And we also saw that when we choose to be guided by God, when we go where he says to go, when we choose to say what he tells us to say, when we choose to do what he tells us to do, we bring his blessings. We bring his blessings to the people in our corner of the world. So that was last week's answer. When we asked how do we bring God's blessings to the nation, the answer last week was we bring God's blessings by walking in the ways of God. Which brings us to this week and this week's answer. So how do we bless the nations? Well, this morning we're going to see that we bring God's blessings by showing the unredeemed of the world how redeemed people live. We bring God's blessings. We are God's missionaries when we show the unredeemed people in our corner of the world how people who have been redeemed by God live their lives. So let's start out by asking, what does it mean to be redeemed? Well, biblically, redemption is about paying the price. The price that's necessary to bring about freedom, to bring about liberation. You're redeemed from your debt when you pay off that loan balance. You're redeemed from slavery when the necessary price is paid to set you free. Redemption brings about freedom. It brings about liberation. Freedom from debts, liberation from slavery. And the good news for us is that our God is in the redemption business. Our God is in the freedom business. He's in the liberation business. It's God's mission to redeem. It's God's mission to set free. It's God's mission to liberate enslaved people. And to help us understand what it means to be redeemed by our God, let's take a quick side trip into some Old Testament law. So in the Mosaic law, there's a really interesting concept about redemption, and it centers around kinship, around kinship. So without going into great detail, what those various laws formalize is the duty and the responsibility that family members have to take care of each other. And that makes sense to us, right? If I find myself in trouble, who do you all think has the primary responsibility to come to my rescue? Well, my family, right? especially my immediate family. The more closely related my family members are, the more responsibility that they have for me. You would think that my dad and my mom, my wife, my children, my brothers, they'd all have greater responsibility to come to my rescue than maybe my third cousin twice removed. I 
she's sitting right over there. She doesn't want that responsibility. See, in the Mosaic Law, those close relatives who bear the responsibility to come to the rescue, they have a name. That close relative is known as a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is a relative who, according to the law, has the responsibility, the duty to act on behalf of a relative who's in trouble, who's in danger, who's in need. The kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is the one who delivers or rescues or redeems his people. And remarkably enough, our God has taken on that responsibility for us. It's exactly the role that God has chosen. God has chosen to be the great kinsman redeemer. Let's go back to the Exodus. Let's listen to God describe himself. And let's listen to God describe what he's going to do for Israel. Listen for kinsman redeemer language as God speaks to Moses. This is in Exodus chapter 6. I'll start reading in verse 6. God says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." Do you hear that language? What what does God promise? He says, I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. God's saying, I will be your kinsman redeemer. I will be that close family member. I will be your father who comes to your rescue. God's saying, as your kinsman redeemer, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll pay whatever it costs. I'll do whatever it takes and pay whatever it costs to defend and liberate my people. And as we've been reminding ourselves over and over again, the Exodus story isn't just some dusty old story that happened way back then, way over there to a bunch of people that we don't have anything in common with. No, the Exodus story is our story. It's our story right here and right now. Because our story is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus arrived on the earth, it was God announcing to all the people in all corners of the world. It was God announcing, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of your sin. I will free you from being slaves to your passions and desires. And I will redeem you with the outstretched arms of my son. And with the mighty act of his resurrection. And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of your sin. God is our kinsman redeemer. Our Father, who's committed to doing whatever it takes. 
What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life committed to doing whatever it takes. And God is committed to paying whatever it costs. 1 Peter 1.18. Peter says, It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but it was with the precious blood of Christ you were redeemed. Whatever it takes, whatever the cost... You know, the the Bible gives us these great metaphors. They're great metaphors to help us grasp the magnitude of what God has done for us, what our kinsman redeemer has done for us. So listen to these different metaphors when we consider what it means to be redeemed by God. First metaphor, it means he paid the price to take us from darkness into his glorious light. Second metaphor, it means he paid the price to take us from death to eternal life. A third metaphor, it means he paid the price to take us from being slaves to sin to now being the adopted children of the king of the universe. And a fourth metaphor, it means he paid the price in blood to take us from being completely stained and soiled with sin to being washed clean and purified in his presence. Four powerful metaphors. I don't know which metaphor works best for you. Maybe it's the idea of being completely lost and helpless. Maybe in the total darkness of a cave, only to be miraculously rescued and brought out into the light, into the warmth of the noonday sun. Maybe you can picture yourself lying on a gurney in some hospital without a heartbeat, without any hope, only to be miraculously revived. Or perhaps you can imagine what it would feel like to be a a starving slave, living in the gutters, plucked out of that misery and adopted as the child of a king. Or maybe because of your domestic history, you can understand the power that's required to take a garment that is stained beyond recognition. No longer of any use. Only good to be cast out and cast off. And somehow making that garment brand new, spotless and beautiful. I don't know which of those metaphors resonates the best with you. But I do want you to know that if you are a Christian, they're all true for you. Each of those metaphors is your story. It's your exodus story. It's your redemption story. We've been redeemed. Not by a close earthly relative. We've been redeemed by the God of the universe, the great kinsman redeemer who allows us to call him our father. So the question I have for you is, how should the redeemed live? How should redeemed people live? Let me ask you this question. 
What kind of response would you expect from that man who was plucked from the cave? Or maybe that woman who walked away from that gurney? Or from that slave who's now living in the king's castle? Well, we expect those kinds of experiences to change people, don't we? We expect those kinds of experiences to change people. We expect that man plucked from the cave to understand and appreciate and celebrate freedom and light in in new and profound ways, don't we? We expect the woman who walked away from the gurney to understand and appreciate and celebrate life in new and profound ways, don't we? We expect that slave girl who's now a princess to understand and appreciate and celebrate her freedom and privileges in new and profound ways, don't we? We expect them to find great delight and joy in their freedom and in their liberation, don't we? What would we think about someone who'd been rescued from a cave and it didn't affect them in any way? Someone who was dead on a gurney but was brought to life and it didn't affect them anyway. A slave who was made a princess and it didn't affect her in any way. What would we think about someone like that? Another question. What do you think people out in our corners of the world expect to see in us, expect to see in Christians? I mean, after all, our story in Christ is an exodus story. Our stories are darkness to light stories. They're death to life stories. They're slave to a child of the king stories. They're soil to washed clean stories. And if we claim those stories as our stories, what might the people in our corners of the world expect to see in our lives? Wouldn't they also expect to see changed lives? Wouldn't they also expect to see people who understand and appreciate and celebrate freedom and light and life and redemption in new and very profound ways? Wouldn't they expect to see people who find delight and great joy in their freedom and in their liberation? Of course they would expect to see that. And of course they do expect to see that. The people in our corners of the world expect redeemed people to live like they have been redeemed. That's exactly how we are called to live. It's how we should live. See, as the redeemed people of God, we should be known for our great joy Great joy in our new light and in our new life in Jesus Christ. And Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1, verse 8. He says, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Why are you filled with joy? Well, you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
That's why we should be filled with joy. We should be filled with joy because we have been redeemed. And our lives and our actions should be observably different because we have been redeemed. You see, what Jesus did on the cross mustn't leave us unchanged. Our life should reflect the cross. Our life should be shaped by the cross. That's exactly the point of what's probably my favorite passage in the Bible, Philippians chapter 2. Start reading in verse 5. And Paul says this to the redeemed. He says, since you have been redeemed, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cross must not leave us unchanged. Instead, it should leave us with the attitude, it should leave us with the actions of Jesus Christ. That's how others expect us to live. And that's how we, as the redeemed, should live. We should live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. That's cross shaped living. So you might be thinking, well, that's all well and good, but what does that have to do with mission? How does redemptive, joyful, cross-shaped living further God's mission? Here's how it furthers God's mission. It furthers God's mission because redemptive living, people who live redemptively, people who have great joy and who have cross-shaped lives, who have great joy in cross-shaped lives because they have been redeemed by God, those people are attractive. Now, before that goes to your head, I'm not saying that Christians are better looking than everybody else in the world. That's not true. At least I don't think it is. But joyous, cross-shaped lives are literally attractive. Joyous, cross-shaped lives attract those who don't know true joy. And those lives attract those who haven't experienced the cross. Redemptive living is attractive. You might remember that last week I said that in this sermon series, we're going to first talk about how we walk before we talk about what we should say. And the reason that we're doing that is because our actions can either validate the gospel Or our actions can rob the gospel of its power. And that means that we can talk about our Redeemer until we are blue in the face. But we can't expect people to be attracted to our Redeemer if we aren't living redeemed lives. It also means that we can't expect the things that we talk about and the things that we celebrate in here on Sundays in church, we can't expect those things to attract people to Christ if we aren't living cross-shaped lives out there. 
See, what we do out there matters. A while back, we were at a local restaurant after church services. And we'd been seated at our table, and shortly after we were seated, an extended family came in. And all of the people in the extended family were dressed up. Now, we know what that means, right? It's Sunday, it's 1230, a family comes in and they're all dressed up. We know where they came from, don't we? Say it with me, where did they come from? They came from church. We know that, everybody in the restaurant knows that. It equals coming from church. It equals people who call themselves Christians. So what do you think the reaction in the restaurant was when that family complained about their table and then complained about the menu and then complained about the temperature in the room and then complained about the food and then were rude to their server and then didn't leave a tip? It wasn't very attractive. Or how about this? I'm coming back from Ponderosa Camp one evening. Traffic slows down and then it comes to a dead stop. You can see flashing lights in the distance. There's no question that there's been a bad accident and everything is stopped. And we are taken into one lane and everybody is patiently waiting to be directed through this area except for one SUV who can wait no longer. They pull out onto the, to the uh, what's that word I'm looking for, the shoulder of the road pass car after car after car, trying to get to the front of the line. They're stopped by a police service aide. They gesture angrily at that police service aide. And the only thing that I can see is the Jesus fish in the back window of the SUV. Not very attractive. I've recently become kind of enamored with an an image from the prophet Jeremiah. The image is of a a decorative sash or a decorative belt. And that sash or belt represents God's people. Listen to the imagery that's used. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 1. This is Jeremiah speaking, and he says, This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist and do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt and put it around my waist. So the image that we should have is of Jeremiah walking around wearing something that is very unprofit-like. His normally very plain dress and plain robes are suddenly adorned with this colorful sash. And trust me, people can't help but notice. And Jeremiah continues on. He says, then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and go now and hide it in a crevice in the rock. So I went and hid it as the Lord told me. So now the image that we should have is Jeremiah comes back into town. He's walking around and the belt's missing. He no longer has the belt. And once again, trust me, people can't help but notice. Where's your belt, Jeremiah? God told me to go bury it. Well, why would he do that? I'm not really sure, but I bet we find out. And so the story continues on. Many days later, the Lord said to me, go now and get the belt I told you to bury. So I went and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had buried it. But now it was ruined. It was completely useless. 
So now the image we should have of Jeremiah is walking back into town with his once beautiful belt. But now it's soiled and ruined and worthless. And once more, people can't help but notice. What's with the ugly ruined belt, Jeremiah? I'm not sure, but I bet we find out. So the story continues on. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way this belt is ruined, I will ruin the pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt. Completely useless. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I bound the houses of Israel and Judah to me to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. So that's what the belt's all about. Do do you catch that imagery? See, God's people were supposed to be like be like that new and beautiful belt. They were supposed to invite people to notice the beauty of their God. They were supposed to invite people to be attracted to their God. Attracted to their God when they noticed the beauty of his people. I think the lesson for us is clear. The way we live our lives adorns our God. When we live dark, dead, enslaved, soiled lives, we bring dishonor to our God. And the tragedy is, is when we bring dishonor to our God, we repel those who need to know him. I mean, after all, people assume that if God's people are dishonorable, then so must be their God. But on the other hand, when we live joyful, cross-shaped lives, we bring honor to God, and we attract those who need to know him. After all, people also assume that if God's people are honorable, then so must be their God. Our lives speak loudly about our God. Our lives are either a belt holding God up or they're a belt letting him down. So we bless the people in our corner of the world. We're God's missionaries when we live like redeemed people, the redeemed people we are. Because when we live redeemed lives, we attract people to our God. See, it's through the cross that God has cleansed us. It's through the cross that he's given us light and life and freedom. It's through the cross that he's made us beautiful, and he's done that for his renown, for his praise, for his glory. You're God's clothing. You're God's adornment. You are God's representatives in your corner of the world. So may your joyful and fruitful and cross-shaped lives honor our God. And may your lives attract the nations. Let's pray together. Father, we're redeemed. You have set us free. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to live like the redeemed. 
May there be great joy in our lives. May the fruits of the Spirit be evident in our lives so that others may see the beauty in us and be attracted to you, the beautiful God, the God of the universe, the great kinsman redeemer. Father, help us to further your mission in our lives. We pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Let me give you missional challenge number nine. This is a fruitful challenge. This week, I challenge you to choose just one fruit of the Spirit. One fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. Choose one fruit of the Spirit Choose that to wear in your life and adorn your God in your corner of the world. Won't you take that challenge this week? So now we're going to end the song. This is where the warm-up that we did before comes in. Um, So I want everybody to stand up. We're going to sing a song about being redeemed. I've given Brad strict instructions that as he's leading this song, if he looks out and people are not smiling like they have great joy in their lives because they've been redeemed, he's going to stop and we're going to start over and we're going to stay here until we get it right. Okay? Smiles on your faces. Let's sing like the redeemed. Let's have joy in our lives.